recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. You're listening to DC Public Library on Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. This is an episode of Get Lit, a highlight of everything literary and book related in Washington, DC. I'm your host, David Quick, Adult Service Coordinator at the DC Public Library. I'm happy today to be joined by Lupita Aquino, also known as Lupita Reads, Nick Brown uh, from the Prince George's County Memorial Library System, and Asia Clark, my colleague at the DC Public Library. Everybody, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yes, and uh, I convene this little meeting because I think of you as all people who read a lot and uh, participate in the community of readers and writers in Washington, DC. And at this very strange moment in history when we're social distancing and uh, continuing to read, but trying to stay connected around books, this seemed like a good topic for a conversation. Um, so uh, to begin with, uh, maybe we could talk, I want to hear what people are reading right now, but I was also curious what each of us in our kind of the work that we do around books, um, what are some of, what are your personal reading habits looking like right now? And what are some of the things that you're doing to stay connected with other people reading? Lupita, go. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, So it's funny because a lot of what I was doing book related was online anyway. Um, and And it was like, I mean, the added plus was getting to meet a bunch of people that, you know, um, other book lovers in person at book events. So that's really changed a lot for me. Um, But well, that and just the stress and anxiety of uh, not being able to really focus on reading, um, that's in terms of like what I do online, you know, and how I connect with readers online, um, it hasn't changed much. It's just been my mental health and space and ability to actually try to reach out. That's, that's been affected. Okay. And I think that's a question right now is, uh, you know, what, what books and relationships are kind of sustaining those of us who are, who are experiencing that stress right now. Um, do you have any, does anything come to mind for you to answer those questions? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, for a little bit, I was, I was struggling. And so I decided to put up, pick up some graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped me kind of kicked myself back into reading. Um, and also I'm really into reading queer literature. So a couple of queer books has really kind of ramped me up to, to focus and to be able to read again. Okay. Any titles you want to recommend from those books? Uh, yeah. Um, so I recently read for the first time ever, my first Alexander Chi book. Uh-huh. I read um, Edinburgh. Um, I, I hope I'm saying that the right way. Has, has anybody else read it? Uh, no. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. I have not yet. <laughs> not yet. 
It's I haven't read it. I think it's, isn't it the, the Scottish city, Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was really good. Um, it, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was a tough read that, you know, I thought I was like, wow, I'm not, I had no idea. I don't read the summaries. I don't know if anybody else reads like synopsis before they go into books. Um, but I didn't read it. And so while reading it, I was like, oh, this is probably not something I would have gravitated towards during this time. But um, his writing is so good. And I was just kind of sucked in by that. Nice. Cool. Um, and he is, uh, he is a very cool person and a very fun person to follow online. Um, and his, his book of essays, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, is... Uh, I would say you should follow up with that one because he talks about writing that book that you just read. And it's really, really interesting. Um, Nick, you you come from the same world that Asia and I do public libraries. Um, what's, what's in front of you right now as both a reader and a librarian? Sure. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks again for having me. Really appreciate uh, being in the conversation and at least connecting with with uh, friends in the literary world uh, through the the podcasting lines here. Um, it has been a very wild time uh, in library land. Um, I'm over the communication and outreach uh, division at the library system in Prince George's County. Um, so we're our team normally is doing all the digital strategy. Uh, PR and marketing and all of the programs. And basically, we've been the, the front line of making sure that the library is um, reaching folks um, while we're in closure mode with our buildings, uh, along with a lot of great support from all the other teams in the library, from the e-resources librarian to um, the buildings and ground staff who are keeping uh, the physical spaces and collections safe uh, in the meantime. Uh, so we've really had uh, a lot of great opportunities to adapt what we do on a normal basis into the virtual space. Um, so we've been ramping up a lot of live virtual programming, uh, both stuff that we produce ourselves and uh, programs that we're able to share from other institutions that we trust, whether that's yoga from the Botanic Garden in DC or the Cincinnati Zoo's really fun virtual zoo tour for kids. Um, and it, it has definitely been a challenge um, to make the adjustment, but we've been really uh, moving quickly, I think, as have all of the libraries in the DC area, um, just because we know that we have a really captive audience um, anyways, regardless of the closure situation. But uh, we are lucky to be in a community as a whole where the com uh, citizens really respect what libraries can offer uh, and take advantage of the resources. Uh, so for us, like the, the most important challenges to overcome have been how do we ensure that there is maximum access to the virtual programs and whether that's a book discussion event or a, a read aloud for children. Uh, so some of the things that we've implemented to kind of be proactive in that space are adding Spanish language programs, uh, adding American Sign Language programs, making sure that our captions are happening uh, properly on the live virtual events and such. Um, in my personal personal reading life, it has been a really strange time, as I think it probably has for most uh, avid readers, because I haven't had the separation of work and home that I normally have, which I'm already a workaholic, so it's a problem. Uh, but the fact that my office is now in my house, at mm -hmm. least for the moment, um, the kind of mental separation of the physical distance hasn't happened. So it's been a real challenge for me to do my usual thing of decompressing in the evening by pleasure reading. And I've gone from being like a single book binge person to being in the middle of four different ones at a time. And I really only get through a book entirely on the weekend. Whereas in normal times, I might do that 
in an evening. Um, so right. it's been an adjustment, uh, but I'm seiz- seizing the opportunity to, to think outside of my box. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I know that uh, here at DCPL, we kind of, one of the first things we really tried to make happen was kind of online reading opportunities and did a, a really quick DC reads with, with Liz Acevedo. Um, and so all of a sudden I was reading a lot, but for work, I was kind of reading really good stuff for work and not reading the book that I had at the top of my pile, but I still was doing lots of reading. And so it's, it's felt odd, but interesting for sure. Um, are there any, uh, among what you've read, Nick, any titles that, uh, that you want to recommend or talk about? Sure. Um, I'm going to pull up my Goodreads because they all blur together at a certain point. Um, so the book that I had the most fun reading, and it has a, a really fun title, it's called Enter the Aardvark. Um, and this is just since we've been closed. Um, this is a pretty new release. That's uh, a novel by an American author who has, uh, Jessica Anthony, who has lived in a lot of cool places all over the world. Um, the premise of the novel is that um, there is a, a member of Congress who is of the more conservative leaning ideology who uh, is apparently in the closet, but has uh, presidential aspirations. Uh, kind of a riff on the Aaron Shock story, um, mm-hmm. which means it's very entertaining. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, it, that narrative is interwoven with a narrative of a, um, an aardvark in Victorian England that was um, stuffed by a taxidermist uh, in the mid 19th century or early 19th century. And then somehow these two narratives collide through this, the the contemporary uh, story. It's a really short, really well-written book, highly entertaining, but like, it's not, um, it's not just popular fiction. It is actual literary fiction while being super accessible and super uh, fun. Um, So that was probably the most enjoyable given my frazzled, um, kind of focus state at the moment but been li- reading a lot of other good books too um just finished the uh Hakiria diaz um ordinary girls mm-hmm. uh julia alvarez's uh, afterlife as well and here for it by our eric thomas which was a lot of fun too very nice yeah ordinary girls that's uh could spend a whole episode talking about that book <laughs> um asia you were you are a branch manager. Um, you you kind of wear two hats at DC Public Library. You've been managing uh, our books from birth, um, and we should talk about Dolly Parton a little bit, um, as well as uh, Summer Challenge. But you were managing one of our branch libraries when we had to close. What was that like to be in that branch the day before we had to close? Were people scrambling for books? It was uh, very interesting. I will say this. I think that it won't take that long. However, I think that when we get to the point where we have those testimonials and we're looking back and reading them or viewing videos, it's going to be quite interesting to, to witness um, in hindsight how we felt going through it. And then for those who may be doing historical research, what <clears throat> they may feel understanding like this is, you know, really unprecedented time. So I was in the branch the very last day we were open and we were open on a Sunday 
um, closed officially on a Monday. And Sundays for me are very slow. You know, we're there at 830, but we don't open until one o'clock. So uh, being open for four hours, you know, you have some people that come in and they're using the um, the computers. They may drop off their books, but they're not really in the library that long because we only have a four hour window. We had a lot of families that day that were coming in. We had a lot of checkouts that day, um, a lot of new faces because they were coming in based off of the anticipation of us of us closing. A lot of them didn't even realize we were closing, but they felt that it was going to happen because of the um, schools closing a, a few days prior to. And so it was, it was, it was a lot to, to kind of get everything closed down because we had to put signs up um, and change messaging. And, you know, we were pretty busy, you know, that was probably one of the busiest days that I've had um, in my short tenure there as the manager. And I I took, I did take a moment and thought about it. And I, I felt like I'm going to remember this day 10 years from now, five years from now, somebody's going to ask me about this day. This might be something that we could put in an archive someplace because there was a feeling of unknowing because we didn't know what was going to happen. And then at that point, as David knows, we were only slated to be closed for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't been back to the branch since just to do like stuff um, work related, but we haven't been open since. And um, I think that's the part that I didn't realize or know when I closed that door. Um, I think personally, this has propelled me to dig deeper into online reading because I was one of those, um, people that was, that, that held on to the book and writing in the corners and, you know, doing the little dog ears. I was a little bit of a a snot when it came to that. (laughs) Um, but I took a few books with me. But you know what? I, I've been reading on my laptop and I've definitely become much more active online, following a lot of authors, taking advantage of their activity, them being, you know, them being more active online and doing story times and things like that. As David knows, I've been more active in just participating in author events and things like that and just kind of getting um, the experience in a different way so that I can um, be involved in some type of reading and and literary activity. And I think it's good because um, you should always have, you should never forsake the analog piece. Right. But this is a time period right now where I'm happy that we have technology. (laughs) Yeah. I really, I really am happy. And I, and I, I'm, I want to give a shout out to all of the library systems that have really taken it upon themselves to, to do this um, and take on this big job of just kind of like flying the plane at the same time as building it because you were doing it, but on a smaller scale, but now it's really all that we have. Yes. Um, and uh, to your, to your question of like how we will remember this moment, I'll just do a little, a little shout out to both DC Public Library and the uh, Historical Society of Washington, who are kind of trying to get people to do things to document what's happening right now. Um, DCPL is trying to get people to submit photographs of kind of what they're seeing and 
submitting on our Instagram page using the tag Archive This Moment DC and the Historical Society of Washington is encouraging people to journal more, which I think is good also for people's sanity to kind of use use writing um, as a way to kind of uh, contextualize what's going on around them. And um, they'll kind of let people submit their journals for the record, I think, and they're using the hashtag Washingtonians at home, I believe. Um, but we'll post that. Um, in terms of those online, uh, I think, you know, all four of us, based on what I know of, of everybody, you know, we like going to author events. Um, and I would put this question out to everybody um, and start with you, Lupita, since I know you and I, uh, we were both on a conversation that Mira Jacob led um, with a couple of authors. And then I got to watch you host Mira for a local bookstore. Um, I personally think it was interesting to like kind of be in an online space with a lot of people. Like it, it felt in ironically a little bit more intimate than a live event, but I'm curious what, what your observations of events like that have been. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, so I've done, I've done, we, and with Mira, we've, we did an Instagram live. Um, and then we did the more, um, the bookstore event. So it was to compare the two and to have the two was very interesting. I think with a live, you, you can only see number count and you can get real time comments as you're talking to somebody, which is kind of weird. Um, and it, it, you know, it throws you off track if you're trying to have a conversation versus I think with the, with the zoom that we did um, where we could just see faces mm. and you can see reactions and, but I, I just feel like it was, it was so different and you're right. It was intimate because you're kind of, you're, you're kind of let into people's homes, right? Because you you, you see them when they turn their cameras on, cameras on. Um, but it was just so different and I don't know how to explain it. It was, um, it still felt really withdrawn. Mm. I still felt um, not as connected as if I were at a, like at an event in person. Yeah. And I'm curious if anyone else, what, what anyone else's experience has been with joining online um, events. Um, I think for me, I can see that. I think over um, the period that David and I did the online event um, with Elizabeth Esavita, I know he wants to talk about that a little bit later. I um, Go for it. Okay. <laughs> I was putting myself in the shoes of those that were in the audience because we usually in person have a designated Q and a time, but when you're doing a zoom, you have like a little Q and a chat. And so I was trying to make sure I remember to go into the chat because I saw these little messages going up and they wanted to ask questions, but I think that they were uncertain if they would have an opportunity to ask the questions so I tried to incorporate the questions. And so it, there's a different type of pressure when you're doing an event in person, but there, that pressure didn't go anywhere when I was doing it on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I felt like it was, I was sweating more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's like right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw her face. And then I'm also putting different um windows up so that I can see what the audience is saying. And then I would get this 
message that would ping and be like, thanks, Asia, <laughs> from somebody who's, you know, happy that I saw their question. So, yeah, it's it's something to get used to. And then even like on Instagram, I was watching one of the story times and I thought that was really interesting, too. Like Instagram's Instagram, um, the story times on Instagram live and to see other people's um, messaging. Uh, it, so I'm like, OK, you know, we have a lot of new norms to get used to with this. Right. And I don't know if I like them. <laughs> <laughs> No, I completely agree. I, I will say it's been nice to see the authors go live. Yeah. Um, like Jason Reynolds, um, he and having watching him read or or do his interactions with um his games with children. Um, I feel like those have been really uplifting and those I mean, those have been the positives that come out of this, but I have to agree with you. It's been it's difficult to to moderate something online. Mm-hmm. Um Versus, I mean, it's a different, like you said, it's a different kind of pressure to do it in person, but there's almost that ease where, you know, it's just you and that person and the audience, you can look out, you know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely um, a different kind of balance of what creates stress as the event host. Um on, on our events for Prince George's County, I'm sharing the technical duties with a couple of my uh, colleagues. And while I, I feel like I'm getting a lot of time with the presenters because we have about 30 minutes to set up with them and such, um, whenever something is going wrong with the platform, which is completely out of con- our control, it just, it's like so stressful and you don't usually have that level of anxiety in an event, except for if a speaker is late after the start time. Um, and you can't really project any of it because, you know, you're either live or you're trying to entertain folks before you get started. Um, so it's definitely a, 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 it's, it's been quirky to have to like be the tech manager while also trying to be in the kind of host role, not necessarily as a presenter, but sometimes I'm, I'm doing the tech um, and doing read alouds and that kind of thing. Um, where if everything's running smoothly, it's a glorious experience, but if there are tech issues, it becomes like this inner nightmare of everything going wrong that I can't control and not being able to do anything about it. But people have been really understanding um, generally on our audiences when, when tech issues have been happening um, because I think people realize and acknowledge that we're starting something relatively new for us as a system um, without necessarily all of the support that we could have Um, our, at our library, we haven't had all of the staff available to us um, yet, but um, we're now bringing many more staff uh, on duty uh, remotely, which is going to be great and um, a great help. Uh, But it's definitely been a learning curve. And I think there are benefits to, to this different type of engagement. And I look forward to uh, when we're back having a balanced approach to um, doing more virtual events or live streaming in combination with the in-person events. Cause we, we are definitely reaching people that would never come to a physical event. And we we're even reaching people who um, have been visiting family in the County who actually live in Chicago and they've been tuning into our Spanish virtual programs even after they went back home. Um, so I think it, de- it definitely open, opened some new doors for us all. That's great. Um, yeah, those, uh, I think we're all, ha- we'll all come away from this with stories about the, the online event that, uh, that got screwed up for some reason. But, um, 
I think, uh, Lupita, you and I were both on that, that one that, uh, Mira Jacob hosted where she was, uh, interviewing Kevin Nguyen and, uh, another author whose name I'm blanking on, but Kathy they had, Park. yes, Kathy Park. Um, and we'll, we'll make a reading list from this podcast also to, to share out. Um, but, uh, they had to completely switch platforms in the middle. They had to go from, uh, I forget where they started, but then they went over to Zoom, and I'm yeah, sure they were... waited like 30 minutes, right? Yeah, and I, you know, considering how awful people can be in the comment section, yeah. like I, it really, I didn't notice any of that. Like I just saw a lot of people kind of just hanging in there with it and being patient and chatting with each other and talking about what they loved about the books, and so I think you know, there's maybe some new opportunities for people to just be, be good to each other in online spaces. And that's a nice thing. Um, and I, yeah. I did you see that in the comments? They were also, somebody had like uh, shared um, a Google Excel, Excel spreadsheet for people to add like book recommendations. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, it was like people were kind of having an online book club. And so anytime somebody would recommend it, they would throw it on the Excel spreadsheet that like, is open to anybody to see. I thought that was really an interesting way to not be aggressively mean about the fact that, yeah, people had waited like over 30 minutes to try to hear these right. authors speak. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I too um, echo like the thought um, that David was sh- saying about, the, you know, or I'm sorry, I think Nick shared how, you know, there is an eagerness because, you know, for the most part, um, I don't know what it's like to be an extrovert and you can't socialize. Right. (laughs) You know, I've never had a problem being in the house. So these, you know, for those that are able to participate in the event, I know when we worked with uh, Liz Acevedo, we had um, about a hundred, almost a hundred percent of those that signed up, you know, we had about 75, I think initially, and we capped it out at 77 that, that um, signed up via the Eventbrite um, or registered, excuse me, right, David? I think it was like Mm -hmm. 77. We we almost reached that. And, you know, for us, uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised and happy about it because doing events in real time, you know, when outside is open, (laughs) you know. Outside is open. When outside is open, We've had 77 people sign up. We've had 150 people sign up and we didn't get nearly 50%, you know? So that was in and of itself exciting. And, um, you know, even though it was something to kind of get used to, I wonder how moving forward these programs will continue even after the, the social distancing, um, you know, uh, direction is lifted. Um, Nick, since we've been in this, in this moment, uh, and I know over there at PG County, you guys are trying all kinds of cool stuff. Um, so well done on that. Um, are there any, uh, any of the events that you've done that have stood out that, that felt really cool and exciting or surprising? Well, the kind of the most there are two two surprises that I, I love to chat about. Um, one has been how delighted I've been in the way that different county agencies and community partners have stepped up to help us. Um, I, 
I represent the library um, in what we call the Joint Information Center, which is part of the emergency operations work for the county, where all of the agency public information officers are communicating all the time. And we had been in a physical space for a while, and then that moved all, all virtually. But through that group, I've been able to engage other agency heads in leading read-alouds, and we've had uh, both our county police department and some of our municipal police departments participating in that series. And it was only made possible because I was kind of in this emergency communications space. Um, so that's been a really fun surprise. And we've had everyone from uh, the county executives team to uh, the state's attorney participating in, in virtual programs. And it would have been much harder for us to get them involved in programs had we been just doing in-person programs. Uh, so that's been a definite um upside of this all. I think for me personally, the the moment that was the big wow was the first um, Biblio Niños program that we did, which I hosted. And I, I'm, I'm not a children's librarian, but coming from a performing arts background, I can at least, you know, put, pretend like I'm, I know what I'm <laughs> doing. Um, and I uh, speak Spanish. So I, I, I went ahead and, and tried this live virtual read aloud. And it, we had so much engagement from folks in the chat and people were so, so, so eager to, to kind of talk to us as the library through that program. And the engagement was, there was just something special about it in that moment because um, our library has definitely not um, had the capacity to do virtual programs for Spanish speakers before. But now in this kind of alternate reality, we're able to reprioritize where we're putting programming time and resources. Um, and the numbers have been really astounding for the, the Spanish language programs in that they're, the views are just about comparable to the English language programs, even though our Spanish speaking population is only under 20% of the county. Um, so it's been definitely rewarding and um, an opportunity for me to build my own confidence in, in doing that type of program. Um, but it's on the flip side of it, there are opportunities that we can learn, like we have great opportunities to increase the um, Spanish language picture books, for example, in our ebook offerings. That, that, that's something that I've been seeing across um, many of the, the public library systems in the state of Maryland, at least, um, that we, we have a lot of work to do to, to increase equity in some of our um, digital collections development work. Um, there's a lot that's there already, uh, but right now when we have heavy use, it's meaning that uh, very few things in alternate languages might be available at any one moment, which isn't, isn't necessarily ideal. That's great. Um, it makes me think about something here at DCPL where um, working with our Center for Accessibility uh, uh, team that focuses on services to people with low hearing and low vision as well as other um, uh, kinds of accessibility. Our, our librarian who does a lot of services in American Sign Language, uh, a lot of times uh, it's hard to highlight those and make sure those get all the resources that they need. But in some ways, the situation is kind of flipped flip that on its head um, because of the all the ways that she already uses technology to provide services. She was kind of ready to go with with online classes and a, and a book discussion group in ASL. Um, so it's, similarly, that it's been nice to be able to kind of lean into those services uh, because of the online environment. Definitely. Yeah. And I hope we keep doing more. Um, 
Well, we're creeping up on the, the last third of the discussion. Um, our, our one friend, Chantal Seng, who uh, does the uh, uh, literary cocktails, uh, wasn't able to join us, but I'm going to, uh, our last thing will be to share the recipe she gave us. But um, does anyone want to uh, just say like a book that they're excited to read or like an author that they're excited about following right now? So I discovered, um, you guys know that I love Jacqueline Woodson. So mm-hmm. I discovered something, I don't want to promote something else, but they're doing a lot of online book talks. And so there's something called BookTube. And Jacqueline Woodson was doing something for Red at the Bone, which was nice because we had her uh, last summer for our summer challenge um, kickoff. And she spoke about Brown Girls Dreaming but Red at the Bone wasn't released yet. Um, and so it kind of uh, motivated me. I have a copy of the book, but I, it was not my high priority with some things. But now, because I'm home and I have more time, I'm definitely interested in, in reading it. And it, I've discovered Elizabeth uh, Wiltworth, and she used to be the editor of Teen Vogue, and she wrote a book um, uh I'm sorry, I'm I'm blanking on the title, but we do have it um, in our collection and I'm able to read it online. So I'm excited about that um, as an addition, because right now I'm like all over the place. But what what I know in my new vampire habits, I can always pick up a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. You'll have to look up the title of that book. I'm trying to find it, but I can't see I it. I know. And it was, it's like on the tip of my tongue. I will find it. Okay. And Red at the Bone is so good. Yes. It's so good. It's going to be such a fast read for you. I'm excited. So you're making me even more. <laughs> more Than Enough. That's the name of it. More Than Enough. Okay. Lupita, what about you? Um, let's see. So I'm actually reading... Um, I have got two young adult books because I have an event that I'll be moderating uh, on Thursday, um, which has been, you know, that's another thing is within uh, seeing authors suffering from not being able to go on book tours and really sell their books and, you know, and independent bookstores also getting hit with um, having to deal with how they're staying, keeping their doors open. Um it's been great to see authors kind of try to do events with them to help them get through this time. And so the event that I'm moderating on Thursday um, is author led and uh, two, two authors on there are, have written a young adult books, which I'm not, which I don't normally read, but um, I'm happy and excited to like share that I'm really enjoying them and that it seems like I want to gravitate more, more towards reading those now. Um, and I'm reading Running, which is by Natalie, Natalia Sylvester. Um, so it's really interesting book. I didn't think I would find myself enjoying it, um, but it's really good. And then I'm also going to start reading uh, Never Look Back by Lilium Rivera. Um, so that's been fun for me to discover during this time. Great. And you're... Um 
you've led the the lit on H group over at Solid State Books for quite a while now, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, we're still going. Um, and that's actually, uh, if anybody wants to join, we're having, which now it's not going to be limited at all because you don't have to be there in person. We're going to be doing a Zoom, uh, a Zoom book club event for the first time. We're trying it virtually. We'll see how that goes. But it's for um, Gingerbread by Helen Oyoyami. Oh. I hope I said that last name right. But um, I don't know if anyone's read her before. She's really interesting books. Her She kind of tends to gravitate towards... Uh, Kind of not really magical realism, but more like, I guess, I don't know how to explain her, but it's, it's really good. Her books are a wild ride for sure. Yes. There you go. <laughs> a wild ride. That's a great way to explain it. A character might change names with no announcement in the middle of the story. And, um, but, but she's, uh, yeah, she's intriguing. That'll be a fun discussion. Um, Nick, how about you? Well, um, I'm going to do a work one and then uh, some of my own anticipated reads. The, f- the one for, for work is called uh, Stolen, and uh, it's Five Free Boys Kidnapped into Slavery and Their Astonishing Odyssey Home by Richard Bell, who is a professor at University of Maryland. Uh, we're having him for an author event on Tuesday, April 21st at 7 p.m. as part of our Authors for Truth series. Uh, and ex- and ex- the book explores the story of five uh, young men and and boys who were uh, captured for, uh, from freedom uh, from Philadelphia and sold into slavery in the 1820s. Um, and it kind of is, the book appears to be like a definitive uh, f- look at um, the reverse Underground Railroad is how he describes it, of the, the, the pathway of um, selling freed African-Americans into slavery, which is really horrific. Um, so that'll be a, a very informative and educational read that I've just started. Um, and I have a couple summer reads that I'm really eager for. Um, the first one is called A Star is Bored by Byron Lane. Um, this is a debut novel. Uh, Byron is a playwright and screenwriter and also has um, been a drag performer. And this is a, a novel about a celebrity assistant who is uh, trying to, to cope with uh, having a wild movie star boss who has uh, inspired in part by Lane's time as an assistant to Carrie Fisher. So that should be fun. Yeah. Uh, and a great summary that comes out in July. Um, and then the second summary that I'm eager to get get my hands on uh, is The Deviant's War by Eric Cervini, which is a new, uh, really comprehensive look at the early part of um, the LGBTQ uh, rights movement in the U.S., looking way before uh, Stonewall, focusing on the conflicts uh, with the, the federal government during the Lavender Scare and like the Frank Kameny time in the Mattachine Society and such. Yeah. So looking forward to all that, a bit of everything, um, but that's my reading styles. And I, after I've had a, a run of like three books in a row by really awesome uh, Latina authors, um, eager to to kind of keep broadening my horizons with different voices. Excellent. Um, is the Authors for Truth series, Is uh, who have been some other uh, people you've hosted for that? Well, this is actually a new series that we've started. So this uh, this is the first event of it. Um, we were going to have Richard Bell in person in March, um, but that got clo- uh, canceled because of the the closure of the library. So this will be the first event of that series. Um, we also had uh, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi scheduled uh, for 
would have been April 3rd, um, but that's been postponed and we're working on a date for the fall. Um, so it's, it's really a look at different um, historical and social justice topics from a variety of different perspectives um, that might have resonance with local history or culture or national um, history as well. Excellent. Uh, that'll be one to keep our eye on. Um, all right. Well, we're, we're wrapping up soon. Is there, is there anything else uh, we didn't get to that people wanted to say? What are you reading, David? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, in my uh, pattern as a, as a librarian is to go grab lots of preview copies uh, from our collections department and haul them home on a bicycle and not read them until well after the book has come out. Um, but the um, one book that came out that isn't out yet. It's called Utopia Avenue by David Mitchell, who um, is probably most famous for um, uh, Cloud Atlas. Um, and he very much is in the literary fiction vein, but um, his books are all in a shared universe that uh, you can read one book and not necessarily realize it's connected to other books. But um, for those of us who obsess over his writing, we, we pick up a book and just look for all the little breadcrumbs um, that connect them to the other books. And so that's been really fun. Um, and so that's been my main thing um, with the fire on high by Liz Acevedo was um, that was a, a nice thing to have that as a, a work read. Um, and, and she was a pleasure to host as well. So um it's all good stuff. Um, I love that book. It's so good. I read, that was my first book of 2020. Um, and it was really wonderful. And for some reason I had this run of three books all set in Philly, um, long bright river with a fire on high. And then I'm blanking on the third one, but it was really, Oh, such a fun age. Um, it was really fascinating to, to get such different perspectives on a very kind of similar setting, um, all by contemporary voices. Right. Nice. Liz or uh, Asia, did you want to say anything else about that that book or that event in Philadelphia? <laughs> oh, you mean um, no? The, the Liz Acevedo. <laughs> um, you know, I would like to say that um, I really appreciate the flexibility um, of some of the authors. I think Liz was great. She was so gracious and approachable. That was, you know, I know I mentioned before I was sweating a little bit, but it was fun to talk to her and. Um, you know, that book in particular, reading it was fun for me because I have a connection to the area. I always like that. If I'm reading a book that happens to be about a city that I, I have a personal connection to. So uh, that was great. And I think, too, what has been nice about these online events, not specific to Elizabeth Acevedo's, but in general, maybe perhaps Liz Acevedo and Jason Reynolds. It's been really good for the for the educators, this has been double fold for them because a lot of times, you know, these events may come with a cost um, or they may not be able to physically be there. But I've noticed that there were a lot of educators tuning in and asking questions and they were very happy and excited to take part because these are books that they're using to either support whatever their curriculum is or they're teaching these books. Yes. Agreed. Um, Lupita, any final thoughts? 
No, um, just uh, thank you for having me. Thank you guys for everything you're doing for us readers um, and keeping us engaged and, um, you know, helping us connect with books. It's truly appreciated. I love going to the chats on Twitter and um, thank you. Sure thing. Likewise. Thank you. Um, and uh, like I said, our, our friend Chantal Sang, uh, who uh, hosts uh, these fabulous cocktail parties where she'll pick a book and create a whole menu of cocktails and mocktails based on the book, uh, was going to join, but we weren't, we had a technical problem. But if people want to follow her on Instagram and Twitter, she's at Shinobi Pause, S H I N O B I P A W S. And she just told me she started a new one, custom mo- custom cocktails underscore end times. <laughs> so, um, but she sent in a recipe, and we'll post this online for making your own shrub for so for folks who are kind of maybe wanting to up their game uh, as a mixologist. Um, she suggests a recipe uh, that involves two or three chopped apples, a cup of brown sugar, six crushed cardamom pods, a piece of ginger, um, about a thumb size, and one and a half cups of apple cider vinegar. Stir it up in a ceramic or hard plastic container and let it sit covered for three to seven days. Um, Sounds like you might want to open the windows for that one as well. Um, And then that's something you can add to your tea or seltzer or, uh, your boozy ingredient of choice. Um, but I, I know online we're seeing all these people go crazy for making your own bread starter with wild yeast. Um, for those who are getting into fermentation, this can be a good complement to that. <laughs> um, so to wrap up, where's my little outro? This was an episode of Get Lit by DC Public Library recorded remotely for full service radio in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. Visit dclibrary.org slash library at home, where you can learn about our current virtual programming and online resources. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at DC Public Library or Twitter at DCPL. Uh, I'm David Quick, I'm at Knits and Cycles. each of you send, say, say any uh, social media handles you want to say. Lupita? Oh, yes. Um, uh, Lupita.reads um, on Instagram. Yeah. Nick? Uh, for the Prince George's County Memorial Library System, uh, we are at PGCMLS, and then my personal accounts are at FrenchHorn88. Asia? I can be followed on um, Instagram personally at born in the morning. No G at the end. It is definitely a uh, un PC way to spell it. (laughs) 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 And of course, uh, David and I do a lot of work with DCPL. So at DCPL um, or DC library. Right. Yeah. At DCPL for Twitter and at DC public library for Instagram. Go to dcpl.simplecast.com to listen to this and previous episodes of DC Public Library and Full Service Radio. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>